welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping product managers become product masters. Listen and get ready to take your career to the next level for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, your host. Each week, I help product managers build better products and become product leaders. I call that product mastery. And you are on the journey to product mastery by listening to this podcast. Further, the product mastery roadmap will show you what it means to become a product master and how you get there. Download the roadmap for yourself at the same place where you'll find the show notes for this episode. And that's the everydayinnovator.com slash 131. Now, as product managers and innovators, we are often at the center of change. And that's because our work involves creating something new, which itself is change. Further, we need to persuade and influence others to change their perspectives at time and help embrace our ideas, our ideas for building better products. Now, sometimes the change is small, like a new feature to a product, while other times it's really large, like acquiring another company. Adding change management tools to our product management toolbox is wise, which is why I'm bringing to you the one and only creator of the Change Planning Toolkit. He also wrote the book, Charting Change, a visual toolkit for making change stick. And he is a recurring guest. Back in episode 024, he discussed five keys to developing an innovation culture. His name is Braden Kelly, and in addition to being a speaker and executive trainer, he's helped numerous organizations increase their revenue and cut their costs through the creation of innovation strategies, organizational change, and improved organizational performance. I'm glad to welcome Braden back and discuss change with us. Braden, welcome back to the Everyday Innovator podcast. Thank you, Chad. I had to look up. It's been a, over two years now since we talked. And I went, wow, that time has gone by quickly. And, uh, and you've been wow. busy since then. Yeah, back in 2015, way back on episode 024, we talked about uh, innovation culture. Since then, you've put together a lot of materials addressing change and change management and how we go about planning change. So I thought it was time to get back together with you and talk about change some. Oh, great. Yeah, it's, I've been beavering away, creating all kinds of great tools for people to use around innovation and change. Yeah, a lot of tools. And I'll ask you later how we can uh, get a hold of some of those because a lot of valuable tools you, you have. When it comes to change, you know, product managers and innovators, we kind of sit at that hub of change because everything we do has involved something new. You know, I, I came across before thinking of innovation it's been expressed as a, in a new way, right? Innovation is fundamentally about doing something new <laughs> because of <laughs> just the nature of it. And that means that we're going to have some change involved. And anyone that's been involved in product management and innovation knows that we run into people, and basically I think most of us are wired this way, that we don't naturally jump up and down excited about this possibility of doing something new and different. In organizations, there tends to be a general resistance to, to change. So I thought that would be a good place for us to start. Can you address that notion of resistance to change that happens? Sure, I'd love to do that. And I'd, I'd love to uh, contradict a lot of the popular wisdom out there uh, in this area. And there's there's other places in the book where I challenge conventional wisdom mm-hmm. around uh, some of the generally accepted kind of best practice ways of thinking about change. And and that that concept that people are resistant to change, I think, is 
false. And I think that is, it is damaging to the opportunity for people to make change. It's not true that people resist change. People resist changes that they don't like or that they don't want. Uh, I'll illustrate that with an example. So, Chad, next week I want you to drop everything and come out here to Seattle and go out in my backyard and pull all my weeds. How do you feel about that? You ready to come out and do it? I'm afraid my next week is already scheduled, Braden, but I appreciate the opportunity you presented me with. <laughs> um, now, let me let me throw you a different different thing. Okay, Chad, I want you to drop everything next week. I have this amazing opportunity. I know the people at Disney, and next week, if you can be in Los Angeles, I can I can have you on one of the Disney properties in a in a suite with all expenses paid, uh, early admission to the parks access to things behind the scenes that people rarely get an opportunity to see. Uh, do you think you can do that? Wow, that's a really kind offer. What, what day should I be there? <laughs> now, both of those are changed, right? Both they, of those they are, are changing my plans. Completely changing what, how you're planning to spend the next week. Uh, one, you're resistant to because it's a change you don't want. And then the other one is a change that you're excited about. So I think that one of the, the key deltas as we look at change is whether... Uh, the change is creating fear or whether it's creating excitement uh, or curiosity because curiosity and excitement will create energy for the change and uh, fear or um, disorientation will cause you know resistance to that change. So if we find that we are running into a situation where we're facing resistance, we have to try to look for opportunities to change that, that fear uh, into excitement. You know, that sure sounds simpler than I think it actually is, right? Uh, (laughs) And you wouldn't have this entire change toolkit if it wasn't the change planning toolkit, if it wasn't not so simple, right? So, to get people on board with this exciting new vision that you want to paint with the change. Yes, no, it's definitely not not easy and and it depends on what the, the change is and it depends on the culture that you've created within your organization. Uh, and the cultures that are the most positive and beneficial and healthy and, and tend to run towards innovation are those cultures where the organization has started to um, make change something that people want rather than something that they resist. And, and people start to want change when they feel like they're having the opportunity to make a difference, to, to, to create positive change, to make things better for the customers, to make things better for themselves. Uh, to make things better for the world, you know, all all those opportunities to to make things better and to be part of making things better are going to find a lot less resistance than than those things that are going to strip people of their expertise, that are going to strip people of their power, that are going to strip people of their sense of comfort mm-hmm. or, or stability or those other kinds of things. And so it's definitely not easy, and that's. That's why change requires planning, and that's why 70% of change efforts tend to fail, and oftentimes poor planning and and, um, not having the conversations up front that that are most crucial to determining success or failure are what lead to that 70% failure number. Uh, so if you want to have uh, fewer failures, then then you need to invest more time in the upfront part of change, and that's that's the planning part, and that's that's 
that's why I created the the change planning toolkit was because as I looked around the, the the marketplace and as I was being tasked with more and more change initiatives as part of my job, um, whether that's you know the little C change of a project to a big C change of you know merger and acquisition or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, you know, I got really tired of, of staring at a blank Word document and a, a project charter and trying to figure out where, where to start. That 70% number that you shared is, <laughs> you know, eye-opening, right? That more than two-thirds of change efforts are, are resulting in failing. Uh, and there's something that we can do about that to get our hands around that. And you, you just, you, you talked about this notion of big, big C change and little C change. And I think for the individuals involved, that the little, a little C, you know, a project-level change can be a big change in their world. Mm-hmm. Uh, even certainly, you know, if we're going through a merger acquisition, that's a big change to the organization, a big change to everyone involved. And that change sim- tends to hit people differently. Mm-hmm. And I know in your book that you've shared, Charting Change, a visual toolkit for making change stick, you talk about this notion of humanizing change because it, it impacts mm-hmm. us differently, right? We, we, we all respond yeah. to change a bit. Let's get at that into the into the discussion here too. How how do we actually humanize this change and make it more personal to people? Well, I think that where we have the opportunity to do that is anytime that we look to make uh, the the change planning process more visual, hmm. more collaborative, uh, and to to utilize some of the things that we've been learning in other areas of business. That it's much more impactful when we move away from word documents and emails and and things like that and get people in a room and get the sticky notes and the markers out and put things up on the wall and, and start, um, start making something happen. Even if it's a sentence at a time, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's, it's kind of much, much the same as, you know, writing a book or something like that. It seems super scary when you try to think of it as sitting down in front of a typewriter and having to write the whole thing in one sitting. Um, but as you start to, you know, create an outline and start to, to populate key thoughts in different sections of the outline mm-hmm. and then start to write a paragraph and then another paragraph, then, then suddenly you're making progress and suddenly you, you start to create momentum. And, and if you find good ways of maintaining that momentum based on your, your personal characteristics, then, then before you know it, the, the whole thing is done. And, and, you know, we've kind of seen the, the popularization of things like the, the, the lean startup approach and agile and mm-hmm. the business model, uh, innovation, can, the business model innovation canvas and, you know, all these different canvas types approach approaches. And then the reason why those things tend to resonate with people is they, they seem more doable than sitting sitting down in front of a a blank word document, and they're more social than sitting down by yourself in front of a, a blank word document. And so, the change planning toolkit uh, leverages those kinds of approaches, leverages the learnings we've had from Agile, leverages the learnings we've had from things like Lean Startup and Lean and and other other methodologies, and and utilizes those and builds upon them to 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 get people talking and to try to do everything we possibly can to make the conversations occur that are uh, most likely to derail a, ch- a change initiative or to derail a project somewhere down the line, um, make those happen up front mm-hmm. uh, rather than, you know, having them hidden like an iceberg waiting to, to sink our effort later on. Uh, and so, so the change planning canvas sits at the center 
And then there's a whole series of frameworks and worksheets in the in the book and that are explained and that are a part of the toolkit um, that, that go around that to help people dig into all the different areas that are going to be important to successfully execute planning and executing a project or planning and executing a, a change initiative. And I'd like to dive into some of that specifically with you. You mentioned this collaborative notion of change and the, the, and collaborating using visual tools helps get people kind of on the same page in a sense. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to recognize that we all approach change individually from different perspectives. And yeah. as you're talking, it made me think several years ago in an organization, we were going through a rather significant change in how we position ourselves to the marketplace. Mm-hmm. For for my respect, my perspective, it just made sense. I, this was seemed like a natural evolution for what mm-hmm. we were about. But apparently, not all the people in the organization were on the same page, and they, they had us get together. They brought in these special facilitators, and we work, worked in small teams for half a day, uh, developing a picture, basically, of what this looked like. And my individual perspective was, this is a huge waste of time. I'm already on board and <laughs> know where we're moving. Yeah. But people are at different places, and it seemed to really help some people to kind of work through together what this change would mean to, to everyone. Just that collaboration helped to understand the different perspectives. And it helped me to just open up my eyes to how people were thinking about this in different ways. Uh, yeah. So being able to collaborate, and those visual tools are certainly helpful. So product managers, as I, I kind of teed this up in the beginning, we deal with change. We're often at the center of that. So your toolkit would be a good thing for us to have in our toolbox can you take us through you know, the, the key steps that are involved in effective change? And also, if you have a graphic that I can share, I'll include that in the show notes uh, for people listening so they can kind of see, see these steps in a visual form, too. Sure, sure. And then, and then maybe we can circle back around and talk about kind of some of the, the human elements of, mm-hmm. of change and, and a couple different frameworks that are highlighted in the book around how people are different and how you can Good. try to... To, to harness um, those different types of individuals for to be part of the process. Um, as I look at change and, and some of the, the ways to, to approach it, there's a couple of key areas that I like to, to focus on and some frameworks that I've included. One is uh, architecting the organization for change, and it really all starts with the fact that the, the change begins not with the the idea to pursue it, but with the changes in customer behavior and the changes in the marketplace that are occurring and how those might influence your strategy. Uh, and that's that's where it begins inside your four walls. Uh, and from that strategy, you determine how you want to architect the business. What are the capabilities and competencies that you're going to need to have as an organization to execute upon that strategy? Uh, and every time you revisit your strategy and, and make changes to it, and that oftentimes has makes changes to your business architecture, which mm-hmm. then creates a whole portfolio of potential changes that you need to execute to create those cap- capabilities and competencies or to improve them. And Braden, sorry to interrupt yep. you. I, I was curious about an example there of that connection between strategy and business architecture how business architecture might might change, might evolve uh, based on sure. a change of strategy. Sure. So if we just look at a, a simple example that most people understand. So when Apple pivoted their strategy to move from selling computers to selling other kinds of electronic devices, like, say, the iPod, um, that 
required them to develop a whole new set of capabilities and competencies around consumer electronics, mm-hmm. around music, around um, uh, subscription-based services and other kinds of sure. things that are linked to that whole iPod ecosystem that they did not have before. Mm-hmm. And and so that change in strategy evolved, had forced them to rethink their business architecture because of those new capabilities and competencies that they're going to need to have, which which then is going to trigger a whole cascade of change throughout the organization. Right. You know, they're going to have to figure out how to to create those kinds of services from a legal perspective, from a finance perspective, uh, from an HR perspective, because they're going to probably going to have to go out and hire people with that that those kinds of expertise that they don't have inside the organization now. And so there's from any change in strategy, it's going to cascade all the way down the pyramid. And, um, you know, below the business architecture level is that whole portfolio of change initiatives that are going to come out of those, those changes above. And those are typically going to fall into two buckets, uh, innovation or operations. So okay. in, in much the same way that people pursue operational excellence, they can also pursue innovation excellence. Um, but again, we're still talking about change initiatives cascading down through the organization, and, and so that's going to require planning, it's going to require management, it's going to require leadership, uh, and and then I like to break change down into three major components, and one is kind of the the traditional project component, project planning, project management, um, and then also kind of your traditional communications planning and management. But then this this other component of behavior planning and behavior management. So with these things that we're undertaking that are new and that we either need to get better at or that we need to start doing that we're not doing now, um, what are the behaviors that we need to start having or to change within the organization and how are we going to plan and execute on that? Um, and then... You know, with with that, there's always a series of tasks and deliverables and, and things like that, and that falls in the project bucket. And, and then, of course, we have to talk about it and make sure that people understand it and know how to do it, and all of that falls into the, the communications part. And if you do all those things well, then the, the change succeeds, but then, of course, you need to, to maintain it and make sure that it sticks and, and that it can continues to, to stay adopted and it continues people continue to stay bought in and um, that you continue to evolve and, and make it better, whatever the, the change was that is now part of your new status quo. So that's kind of how things cascade down. And Everyday Innovators, it would be helpful if you are, lis- are listening and looking at the show notes at the same time so you'll see that graphic. And it does look like a pyramid starting at the top with strategy, moving through business architecture, change portfolio management, and the other things you just went through, Braden. So elements of this I'd love to tease out, even maybe some, uh, I'll think of them as shortcuts to tr- try to get change moving more quickly. You know, for example, I, I've heard CEOs be successful when they will frame a change, maybe in terms of a pilot or an experiment, right? And simply yeah. say, you know, we're going to try this for six months. And if it doesn't work, then we'll discuss going back to what we had or discuss going to something different. But let's, you know... C- c- I think this is good for us to try. Will you agree with me to support me on this? You know, and and we'll give it a, a you know a good earnest try for six months. What have you seen for helping to set up change like that? 
Well, I, I think that that one made me a little queasy as, as I heard it. Because <laughs> if somebody says we're going to try this for six months and I'm resistant to it, I'm like, okay, then I just have to wait it out for six months. <laughs> um, and there's, you know, there's a lot of different ways to approach the the leadership of change, and you know, it can can be kind of that, you know, uh, collaborative approach, but then. You know, there's there's also the sort of top-down approach, and and you know, there's a, you have to kind of determine whether you're going to push it from the top or whether you're going to try to work with people to make it happen. And but I, I think that now might be a good good time to pull in some of the the, the mindsets that you might want to harness to make change happen. Because um, I don't I don't like the the let's try this. I, I do like the let's let's do this in a particular part of the business and then make a plan for scaling it. I think that's that's better. But testing, just saying something we're going to try for a few months over the entire organization, I think people kind of wait it out. Um, but I think as you look at the different people across the organization, you're announcing a change. One of the things that I created in the book was the, the eight change mindsets that you can harness for success. Uh, and I'll I'd love to kind of run through those real sure. fast. Um, right. The first first one is the mover and shaker. And these people, you know, you want to give them the chance to be first. And, and with all of these, it's kind of like how do you, there's lots of different ways that people think about a given change or just the kind of person that they are. Mm -hmm. And to try to engage as many people as possible, thinking through these change mindsets and what kind of person somebody might be might help you understand their motivation and help help you understand how you can try to pull as many people into the boat as possible and create that that momentum and that tipping point where then the rest of the people want to be part of it too. Uh, and so the mover and shaker are the people that want to be first. They, they hear about a change and they want to jump on board because they want to be first. Um, but then you have the thrill seeker. These are people that like to try new things and, and to experiment. And then uh, number three is mission-driven people. So these people want to do things for a purpose. And so to pull these people into the boat, you need to give them reasons to believe. They need to understand, you know, how this is going to make things better and, and why they should believe in it. Uh, and then number four is action-oriented. These, these people just want to know what needs to be done. They, they like to, to get things done and, and jump out there and make things happen. And so you give them a list of things to do, and they're going to start checking off the list. Uh, then there's the expert-minded people. These are the people that like to, to master things and be the, the expert that people go to. And so if you teach these people the new thing, then they're going to really dive into it and, and try to master it and um, so that the people can look to them to, to be the, the masters. And, and these people actually could be some of the people that are the strongest resistors to change if you don't help to engage them in, in this way because they may be the masters and or the experts in the old way and be afraid of losing that that position uh and so if you empower them by making the masters in the new way too then then you can pull them on board uh number six is the reward hungry people and these are the people that you know it's good to have a training for. It's good to have a cert, cert, certification for a certificate that they can put up on their wall in their cubicle, so that they um, feel like they've achieved something and in, in being part of the change. Mm -hmm. And then seventh is the team player, and these these are the people that are happy to help if you show them why the change will be helpful. They they like to help, and if they know 
how to help, then they're happy to jump in and, and you know, help you pull, in, pull on an oar. Uh, and then finally you have the teachers. And, and these are the people that can help spread your change because they, they like to help others uh, understand, you know, something new. And so those are kind of eight different mindsets, you know, eight different ways that people might be thinking as you start talking to them about the change. And if you make a plan for how you're going to engage these different mindsets, then you're much more likely to start turning resistors into supporters. Uh, and, and I think to to move things forward towards the, the success that you're hoping to have. Mm-hmm. As you're going through those, some of these, you know, like the mover and shaker is kind of the, that early adopter, you know, and the thrill seeker likes to try new things. And I was thinking of the project life cycle map, how we we introduce a product and we, how we expect the marketplace to adopt, you know, go through growth and maturity. And yeah. you kind of pull people in at different stages of, of this change cycle. In your eight, these all had positive aspects to them. There's not a laggard in there, right? There's not the person who says, yeah, I'm going to drag my feet as long as possible. Um, <laughs> but, but there's those people. Um, well, I would say that they're, those people are usually the people that you found a way not to connect with. Mm. Or that your change is not interesting to, it doesn't excite them, um, or it challenges their their personal source of power or knowledge or other things the most. So the laggards are people, people that you definitely need to look for. And I, in, in the toolkit, I do have another model that kind of links to exactly what you're talking about. Um, and, you know, where I, I sort of label it as the strong supporters, the tepid supporters, mm-hmm. the disaffected, the passive resistors, and the passionate resistors. And the passionate right. resistors are, are those laggards that you would refer to. And it's kind of your, your typical uh, bell curve, and I call right. it the five change reactions. Hmm. Uh, and in the toolkit, there's a worksheet that you can put up on the wall and start, you know, putting some names to it and trying to identify the, the key people that fall into each category and the people that you need to, to move to the left. And you're not likely to move somebody from being a passionate resistor to a strong supporter right away. Um, but you do want to have a, a plan for how you're going to move a passionate resistor to a, maybe a passive resistor or a disaffected. Uh, you want to move as many resistors to at least disaffected. Uh, and then how you can move uh, the disaffected up into the, the supported categories. And, and uh, in, in my, my little thing that you can, can try to use is has the two-thirds of the people in disaffected or passive resistors. And passive resistors are people that are not act- actively trying to con- con- convince other people to re- be resistors, but they're resisting by themselves. Right. Um, and the disaffected are people that just don't care. Um, and so you don't want either of those categories to be very large, but oftentimes at the beginning, those are the two largest categories. Okay. And so you, you want to, to make a plan for how you're going to move people from those two categories to the left. Uh, and, and so that's what the, the five change reactions worksheet gives people an opportunity to do in the, in the toolkit. We could talk so much more about this because change management is really important. It hits all of us as project manager, <laughs> product managers and innovators. And it's personally interesting to me because we run into uh, issues with it. But I want to focus a little bit. You mentioned kind of the three major areas of project planning, behavior planning, and communication planning. And when you talk about those five change reactions and those eight change mindsets, I'm imagining that there's a strong link back to behavior planning here. 
and how you know what what are those first steps that one might take to try to change the individuals involved change their actual behavior so that they can start embracing the new vision right start making what are going down that path that leads to the new vision yeah and i think it it begins by um in in my mind, starting to understand who is most likely to fall into those categories that are going to either be disaffected or, or passive resistors or even you know active resistors, mm-hmm. and and then start making a plan for how you're going to move them to the left. You know what 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 is the what are the mindsets that that people are likely to have in those categories and what is your plan for trying to create a positive outcome for those those people and and to harness those mindsets to to pull people to the left mm-hmm. uh and so that's that's where the behavior planning and the behavior management comes in uh in support of your the overall change management and and that's you know, probably the most, one of the most important areas and, and, and one of the most difficult. And it's going to vary the most based on the kind of project and the kind of culture and the kind of context that you're operating within. And to get this change moving, you know, when we started the discussion, you characterized this well in terms of there's something going on in the marketplace, you know, the, the business conditions have changed. We're not doing change for the sake of change. And I like how you place the emphasis on we're responding to a, a new opportunity per se to you know s- something that will help us be more successful as an organization or you know a new project that will help us to contribute to our success. And so there's a reason why we're taking this change on. When we look at the other change management methodologies that are out there, a lot of them emphasize this compelling vision. What is it going to be like in the future after this change? How do you talk about that, and how do you tie that into your toolkit? I think I'll throw in a, a quote that, that I like that helps to kind of mm-hmm. be on topic here, and that's that nobody cares what's over the horizon unless you send back some pictures and a map <laughs> of how to get there. Right. So, so I, I think that you know that is why communication management and planning is so important is that you have to try to figure out what's going to resonate with people around uh, telling that story and what are the the key s- segments and you know you have to approach it with your marketing hat on and and do some targeting and segmentation as part of your your communication planning you know what are the different messages that you need to tell to what different groups of people mm-hmm. in order to start um, getting their their support, and you know, part of what the the purpose of the whole change planning toolkit is for, and especially the change planning canvas, is to try to give people a collection of artifacts and to help to build a more more collaborative process so that you get the right people involved. You figure out who the right people are as early as possible and invite them to your change planning session. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you can start to build the buy-in from day day one and the alignment from day one, and with with the proper artifacts and the right transparency, then you you have some things that will help keep people aligned. And if you build a plan that's focused on not on quick wins, which I think are uh, a, a a dangerous way to focus, um, but instead on making a plan for momentum and building and maintaining momentum. And that's oftentimes where agile principles come into play. Then um, 
that's going to greatly increase your, your chances of, of success because you're going to pull the right people in up front and you're going to think through who those right people are going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those, those people are going to be part of building the plan. Uh, and, and so the issues or the resistance that they or the, the people that work with them would have most likely presented later on in the process hopefully will come out earlier in the process. Uh, and you'll have an ability to, to have those conversations that you need to have, work through those challenges that you need to work through, so that before you begin execution, that you hopefully have the alignment that you need to, to be successful, and you've figured out the right cadence to, to maintain the right level of momentum and the right pacing to avoid um, you know, the, the change saturation problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and move forward towards success. Yeah. It's so much more powerful when you can get the people involved that will be impacted by the change, collaborating over how to bring this change about, right? You, you immediately get buy-in from the people that you need it from those that are the ones that are impacted and have to actually carry the change out. So turning mm-hmm. this into a collaborative exercise, uh, exploring it together is, um, really, really wise. I was curious in your research and your experience with organizations when you put together the, the change management toolkit about the impact of, of your immediate manager in this process. Cause you know, there's this uh, saying that people don't work for organizations. They work for a manager, right? And yeah. in some cultures you will have the all employee meeting and the CEO will come out and share something new for the company and employees even though the CEO said it, employees will go, I don't know if that's really going to happen or not. I don't know if I believe it until they talk to their manager and kind of take their guidance from the manager. And mm-hmm. so it seems like that immediate manager role has a lot of influence into what individual employees actually believe and what they pursue and what they might spend their time on. What have you seen and how does that come into this whole change management problem? Well, I think that when we when we talk about change, there's there's a number of different roles that people tend to take on, uh, and there's there's you know in my first book I, I created the nine innovation roles, and I'm a big believer in in roles based approaches to getting things done mm-hmm. because um, you know it's not necessarily about personalities or whether you're innovative or not or whether you're creative or not or, or um, any, anything like that, it's more, you know, what are the roles that need to be filled for us to be successful in executing this thing that we're trying to make happen? And and so there are influencers as one of those roles. There's also authority figures and sponsors as, as one of those roles and, and endorsers and supporters mm-hmm. as another role, evangelists and storytellers. So there's just in those four roles, that's four different types of people that are influencing whether or not somebody's going to buy into a change or not. Um, and, you know, there's obviously other roles as well. But I think that a lot of different people, including the the immediate manager, are going to, to have an impact on whether a change is going to be successful or not. And that's why up front you want to think through who should be part of your change planning process. Mm-hmm. Who are those people that are going to to have the most impact on helping a, a change pro- proliferate. And um, one of the tools in the, in the toolkit happens to be a change ripple worksheet. And, you know, it kind of starts with the, the central question of what, uh, and then it looks outward from there 
uh, towards a series of people. Hmm. And for each one of those people, it's asking the question, you know, where should you try to talk to them? When should you try to talk to them to try to pull them into the change effort Mm -hmm. of helping the change succeed? And then who do they talk to? How many people do they influence? And why are they going to want to support the change? So, so it kind of helps you plan out how a change might not virally spread, but consciously spread throughout the, the organization. And, and how are you going to, who are you going to try to influence and how are you going to try to influence them to support the change? And how is that going to cascade out throughout the organization? Yeah, so much of this is, I think of it as creating the blueprint for the change that you want to have happen and just thinking through what are the right dominoes to start putting in place and knocking down to mm-hmm. make this make this possible. And you've collected yep. a series of tools in your change planning toolkit to, you know, these worksheets and canvases to help us think through that. And so appreciate that mm-hmm. contribution. You shared a great quote a little bit ago. And as listeners know, I always like to wrap up with an innovation-related <laughs> quote. And that might have been the one that you wanted to share, too. But I'm going to ask you again, anyhow. Do you have an innovation quote for us? And why did you choose that one? Well, that was one of the ones that I was going to share. But I'll share another one. Uh, True innovation requires that you consciously leave a breadcrumb trail behind for others to follow and come join you. And the reason that I'll share that one is because there's a huge difference between invention, creativity, and innovation. They're not all the same thing, but we oftentimes talk about them interchangeably. And the, the reality is that creativity creates something useful. In, I mean, not in, useful. Cre- creativity creates something interesting. Mm-hmm. Invention creates something useful. And innovation creates something valuable. And um, for innovation to occur an invention has to transform the useful seeds of invention into widely adopted solutions valued above every existing alternative. And that's, that's my definition of innovation. And, and this quote links to that from the standpoint that it's only an innovation if a bunch of people throw away the, their current way of doing something and replace it with this new one. And that could be a topic of a whole other interview, your your (laughs) way of thinking of creativity and innovation, uh, invention and innovation. But that's a good quote. Can you share the quote one more time? I want to make sure I got it right. Sure. So true innovation requires that you consciously leave a breadcrumb trail behind for others to follow and come join you. Excellent. So get other people on board, which ties back to our change management projects too. So (laughs) very good. Thank you, Braden. And for listeners to find your change planning toolkit and the related charting change book that you've created, how can we find out more about that? Sure. So to find the change planning toolkit, people can go to my website, bradenkelly.com. If you throw on slash CPT for change planning toolkit, it'll jump you right to the the page. So bradenkelly.com slash CPT. If you go to bradenkelly.com slash DIT for disruptive innovation toolkit, I'm currently building something similar for innovation based on numerous requests from people that I've done training workshops and keynotes and other things for around the world um, that there's still kind of this hunger for, okay, I understand the theory. How do I put this into practice? Um, what, what, what are my tools to, to take this to execution and to execute with excellence? And so 
kind of one of the first tools that you'll find if you go to bradenkelly.com slash DIT uh, is a series of free downloads that includes uh, the experiment canvas, which is huh. a canvas that helps people move away from this fail fast mindset to a learn fast mindset mm -hmm. and gives people a, a tool that they can quickly use during their prototype and iteration phase uh, to identify how they're going to measure learning and to pursue learning and what their hypothesis is and what they're trying to test and what they're trying to learn and and other key items all in all in one place and print it up and get it on the wall and get their sticky notes out and, and get busy because um, I'm just really tired of hearing about oh you got to fail fast because you can learn from success just as much as you learn from failure and 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 if you don't plan for learning you don't you don't get it uh, and so so I think the key is to to have hypotheses, to test those hypotheses, to do experiments, to prototype, to iterate, you know, all these things from design thinking and all these things from good new product development processes, um, but to pursue them with with learning as the, the key thing and to do that up front and figure out what you're trying to learn through each each cycle. Excellent. And so for resources again, Braden Kelly is B-R-A-D-E-N-K-E-L-L. E-Y. I was going to say K-E-L-L-E-Y dot com. Thank you. <laughs> slash C-P-T for the changing plan, the change plan planning toolkit or slash D-I-T, which includes that experiment canvas you just talked about. Uh -huh. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And I know you have free resources at those sites and the book also, no doubt, is on Amazon mm -hmm. for charting change. And yeah. I think you have some free downloads related to that at, this, at the same sites that you just gave out, especially the slash C-P-T one. Yes, people, there's 50 tools in the toolkit, but uh, there's 10 free downloads available all the time. And then people that buy the book get ac access to 26 of the 50 tools. So once you buy the book, then contact me via the contact form and I can send you the additional tools that book buyers get. And that includes the change planning canvas. Excellent. Braden, thanks for the information and the resources that you shared today. No problem at all, Chad. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much for listening. Please tell other product managers and innovators about this podcast. I make that easy. Just go to the show notes for the summary of the discussion and all those good resources that Braden shared, and you'll find the links at the top of the page to share this podcast on your favorite social media sites. Also, from the same page, you can download the Product Mastery Roadmap that shows you how to go from product manager to product master. All that and more is at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 131. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit our blog at theeverydayinnovator.com.